Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have freelance writer Fraser Brown. Hello! And we are also joined by freelance writer Rowan Kaiser. Good morning. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about Eugen Systems Steel Division Normandy 44, uh, which is a new-ish RTS that they are making with a, a Paradox Interactive, but one that I think very much fits into the mold of their previous tactical RTS efforts, the War Game series, uh, which you know I think listeners of the show know we've we've been long been long been big fans of, and, and you know not for nothing, but it, it's also kind of a welcome relief perhaps from the uh, from the act of war or the act of aggression uh, misfire we from, never from a talk year about or so ago. Again. I'm so, I still need to go play the uh, Act of Aggression. We patched a new game on top of the old game. Oh yeah, expansion. I keep forgetting about that. That it's essentially an entirely new game. But I I just don't think I can go back. Need yeah, might I, be a strong word. <laughs> Did you play with it at all? Oh, I I I've barely touched any of their games before. I get to be the the newcomer here. Okay, fantastic. Um, so. Fraser, since you, you're a little bit you're you're familiar with the with the war game series, uh, what's what's going on in Steel Division and what makes it different from a lot of other RTSs that people may have played? Well, first off, it's weird that it's not called War Game. Uh, I can't be the only one that thinks that. It's so very War Game. It's not like a different RTS built by the same people. It is a World War Two version of War Game, uh, which means that it's absolutely huge. And instead of building bases, you are constructing your armies out of a, out of a deck, basically. Yeah. Which is different depending on the, the divisions that you're playing. And it's not split into countries, but actually like specific divisions, um, like the Scots, for instance. Uh, so... You're drawing cards to build a deck made up of artillery, anti-air, infantry, and they all have different qualities, different guns, different amounts of ammunition. And then when it actually comes to the game, you're deploying them using points that you're accruing over time. Uh, so you can't just dump everything in one go. It, it's actually split into phases. So you kind of start at the beginning in phase one with... A lot of recon units to to scout out what is generally quite a big area. Even if you're playing 1v1, you have a lot of French countryside to cover. And then as you get more points and the phases go forward, you can start dipping into your deck a little bit more, start fielding uh, more powerful tanks and fancier units, basically. So you're, you're never really just splurging all in one go. You've got to think of the long game. Yeah, and there's a lot of incentive uh, for for sort of building up a, a bit of a bank. I think the really notable changes from the War Game series, uh, straight off the bat, if you're familiar with those games, is that I feel like the War Game uh, games, which is an awkward turn of phrase, but it's going to be <laughs> difficult to uh, avoid it. Uh, so the War Games were a little bit more RTS adjacent in some ways because they were also about territory control. 
where you needed to have a headquarters unit in these little like sectors of each map that would allow you to basically accrue points over time for controlling that sector. If the enemy got into that sector, uh, they could sort of deny you control of it. And then it would be a push until you eliminated the enemy from that sector. I think it was eliminated their headquarter unit. As long as a headquarter unit was in the sector, uh, it was, it was held. Um, but that made it a little more RTS-like in that as you controlled the battlefield in Wargame, uh, the more you held, the more of a lead you built up. And Steel Division still kind of works like that, but not as much as, as Wargame did. They've kind of gotten rid of the, the, map, sec- the, the map sectors, and they've gone for this uh, sort of virtual front line that determines how much of the map each side controls. And you just steadily accrue points, basically, uh, based on uh, based on that portion of map control. It's very coarse-grained. A lot of times, both sides seem to be getting basically identical, um, you know, dumps of points. And therefore, it becomes much more of a, you know, tactical game in some ways, where it's about, like, sort of preserving your forces so that you're not using those points to replenish a bleeding army, but are instead just steadily getting more and more stuff out onto the map, which I think is an interesting departure. Uh, but I, it's it's a very sharp change from from Wargame, and I think also maybe lends it a slightly more, uh, by design, a slightly more push-pull, uh, tug-of-war dynamic than, than Wargame necessarily had. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, let's talk about the war that we're in here, the hedgerow hell of the Allied invasion of Normandy. What you're doing because of this is you're taking hedgerow by hedgerow, trying to get that extra little 1% of the map so that you can uh, get start getting points or stop the enemy from getting points. So you can just, you can get into like these you know, almost trench warfare situations where you're just staring down these open fields between two little clumps of trees or two hedgerows or whatever that uh, makes can get you almost in this, like, myopic, I have to take this one specific uh, hedgerow and I don't know exactly how, so I'm just going to bombard it with artillery. Or you can try <laughs> to figure out how to flank, or you can try to do all that. And that's sort of where I've gotten stuck. But it, it feels like a World War II divisional level game in that it's like how how much am I able to get around all these very, very specific individual tactical points here? These these little tiny towns that each and every building has to be cleaned out or whatever. And I think um like I said, I didn't play too much of war game, but that seemed to be a little more free flowing and armor oriented where this is a lot easier to bog down and more um, infantry oriented, and I think that that's that goes along with the the you know the setting that they've they've picked for it. And um, one thing that they've talked about a lot that I think is worth mentioning is that they made these maps based off like the British aerial archives 
photos that the British aerial recon units took and put in the archives. And so these are supposedly extremely authentic maps of the battles of Normandy. Um, they're not just like random RTS maps thrown on the on the ground. So it's possible that that hedgerow that you're fighting over was actually fought over by uh, the Germans and the Americans for, you know, three days straight. Everything does kind of just make sense, like the the placement of buildings and little French farmhouses, and and then you start assigning a great deal of importance to these very mundane buildings because yep. maybe that's on a crossroads, and you're like, well, that's the fastest way for the enemy to get here, so I'm definitely gonna put some infantry in this pokey wee French farmhouse just in case they come by, maybe set up an ambush, and it is just this kind of bucolic. Uh, countryside uh, scenic place, but you're immediately starting to look at it tactically and logically, uh, where you can trick and trap the enemy. Yeah, and uh, the more you play the maps, the more you see these exact points where if you put an anti-tank unit there and you can manage to save it, then you're basically controlling this road for the key area, and like it's... uh, I've had that with like first person shooters, but most most RTS maps seem to me to be based around like a, an idea of fairness and having everything be equal as opposed to these little points and I think that by having these little points all over the place it creates a, at least um an idea of fairness, but it's not necessarily true. It's it's everyone can everyone can exploit all this stupid hedgerow bullcrap so a couple things um i definitely agree it it feels like they're the maps are not necessarily balanced for each side to have mm, they might have equally fair chances at taking the map but this it's not it's not following that like roughly mirror imaged structure common to a lot of rts maps like if you are starting on a particular side of some of these maps, you're going to face different tactical problems, right? Like there could basically be uh, a huge, you know, there basically could be a huge open field uh, on one side of the map. I think the point to Hawk basically has a very long run toward the, um, toward one side of the map where it's very open fields and there's not a lot of terrain blocking line of sight. And so it's actually very hard once somebody takes sort of control of that. It's almost like a lane. Once someone's taking control of it, uh, and I, I think it is, I think it's like one side actually has a very good point right on their starting line where they can sort of seize control of this lane. Uh, it's very hard to dislodge them. And it's very easy for them to just sort of push out and, and run all the way uh, into their adversary's face along sort of the the cliff faces of, of Point to Hawk. Um, is that fair? Eh, At times it didn't feel like it, uh, but did it give that map a distinctive character? Uh, Did it give it a sort of tactical challenge that I had to account for each time around? It absolutely did. It it changed how I approached the map each time I played it based on where it turned out I was was starting from. Um, I think one thing that could really, really make this game because because you both you both mentioned it and I've had similar experiences. I really wish there was something on the map that like gave some of these crossroads or towns names. 
Because there are certain places on these maps that I don't know what the name of this place is, but it should have a name because it has become like the focal point for the entire battle. Right. And that's a very cool feeling where it's like, God, it's that three, it's that three way intersection with that row of of two story apartment buildings. And it's, it's been like the better part of two divisions have been fed into the fields and forests around that crossroads trying to dislodge each other. Uh, At that point, it would be really cool if we could have that experience, you know, where it's where, where, where we're sort of talking and like, you know, that, you know, that one village in the middle of the Omaha beach map, right? That, you know, that one. And, we could, you know, we could all share that moment. Uh, but, but it is cool that it feels like in the course of a battle, you're almost developing your own history of the battle because of the way the, the map dynamics work. Yeah. Uh, like that industrial complex at Columbell. Oh my God. I hate is... Columbell. <laughs> I, I like that one but that's because i've been playing the infantry division so i'm just like going building by building on that um we should probably mention that we're just playing the not early access version we don't have the full game uh unless you guys do then. No, this is the yeah, this is the beta um i think everyone yeah. who pre-ordered it gets access as well yeah and it's right so par- up until lunch which is quite nice yeah so paradox uh, put out uh, six weeks before launch uh, this thing where if you pre-ordered it you got um, two regular maps um, four divisions two for each side and uh, one giant 10v10 map and then just yesterday actually they added uh, two more divisions and another another map so we're up to three of each Um so this is not the full game that we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about just the the thing that everyone has access to if they have money right now. Yep, AI and multiplayer per- skirmishes and no campaign. Yeah, I question whether there will be a particularly fascinating campaign on this, but well, I we'll game find out. has some pretty decent campaigns actually. The uh, Airland Battle co-op campaign uh, was very cool. But then they ditched that for Red Dragon, unfortunately, uh, which felt like a misstep. They added a lot in Red Dragon. They they expanded the roster of units by this absurd number, and it was a fantastic game. But I really did miss the the care and attention given to the campaign side of things. Yeah, Red Dragon, its campaigns felt a little less replayable. Mm-hmm. Like they they had, they sort of adopted the uh, the sector by sector metagame structure of the of the other campaigns, where like you go and fight a battle on this map for for this part of uh, the campaign. They sort of adopted that, but because the uh, the maps were so linear in a lot of ways, it ended up just kind of feeling in a lot of places like uh, a, a sort of tug of war across these campaign maps, whereas, like, in the Airland battle campaigns, what you were doing, the choices you were making in that metagame actually mattered a great deal for, for how the battles turned out and, and for how the, how the campaign uh, flowed overall. And that was lacking a bit from Red Dragon. But I'm really hoping that we see something like that with Steel Division uh, because it is doing... It does... It, it is doing a really good job of making these battles feel like 
they're realistic in a, in a way that a lot of World War II, a lot of other RTSs are not. Uh, a lot of the things you're worried about uh, are are not concerns that you find in most other RTSs, except maybe um, what was it, Allied Assault for Coming to Heroes Two. Ardennes Assault. Ardennes Assault, yeah, which yeah. is probably the best Company of Heroes thing ever. It's a standalone expansion and the best. Fantastic. I would love to see an Ardennes Assault-style campaign uh, in Steel Division, and I think it would be perfect for it. Especially because Steel Division is so driven about attrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that you build your armies is... You can, you can do that. You can do that sort of deck building that Fraser was talking about uh, in advance of you know. You can basically assemble your own army and 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 what it generally looks like. But the catch is that every single unit type is finite. It's not like you add you know rifle squad to your unit roster and you'll always have rifle squads. Um, you will add one stack of rifle squads and that's like twelve rifle squads. Once they're dead. There are no more unless you add like another stack in in the deck building uh, phase. But at at that point, that meant something else didn't make it into into your unit roster. And so it imposes a lot of really tough choices about army composition. And then it adds another wrinkle. And this is is the thing that I think is the biggest change from Wargame and might end up being the most divisive. It follows these, these rote phases where you've got phase A, phase B, phase C, and the types of units that become available uh, become more and more powerful. So basically it kind of forces, it, it forces this curve onto each match where you'll have lighter and recon units like skirmishing in the opening phases. Then you'll have a mid game with a balance of like fast, light, lighter forces and then like, uh, slightly heavier units and and more sophisticated supports, and then the final phase is possibly where your you know where where your big where where your big guns come out. Uh, that's where you're going to have the the really scarce, really powerful tanks rolling out of the field, uh, super heavy artillery, uh, advanced aircraft, that kind of thing. A lot in the old war games, I think a lot of matches did kind of follow that pattern simply because it took a while to build the resources where it made a lot of sense to put all your eggs in a heavy tank basket. Uh, but I do find it interesting that this time it's kind of uh baked into the rules that this is how the game works, and I'm, I'm curious how you felt about that. It makes it, I think, possible to be very, very sneaky. Because you can, you never know what your opponent is going to pull out of their sack of goodies uh, in phase C. So you can really kind of prepare for the the end game before you've even started the match, just by fiddling around with your with your deck. But I think one of the important things to remember is that a lot of these kind of early game units, they'll still be around at the end. It's it's not like you have to ditch all of your recon units because now you're in phase C. You might not need them, but if you do, they're still there. So you're the playing ones out on the map are still there. Mm-hmm. 
and they can still and the chances are they will survive or i mean there's a good chance because of course like vehicles and units don't just automatically die there's the whole uh, fleeing and stress and suppression system so there's a good chance they'll still be sticking around so it's it's more like having potentially all of your deck to play with rather than just things that you've selected only for phase C. When I uh, was at GDC, I did talk with um, one of the Eugen designers, and he talked about one of the advantages that they liked about this system was that uh, there are all these different units that were actually used in World War II that were like outdated or not very good that should be in games like this because they were used in these things and in these battles and but no one would ever actually try to make those in a video game because you're trying to you know get the most powerful tanks out there and they one of the things that they the reasons that they said that they did this was so that you would have a reason to use these outdated tanks um because they actually were used you could use them as you know early skirmishers instead of your uh, your big um spear point um and i'm not sure if this is a super historically accurate way of doing that i'm not an expert on the exact tactical operations of uh normandy rob you might be um but uh it does seem to be a neat way to have you know almost world war one level tanks at first and then escalate just in a 40 minute game up to you know the most powerful advanced tanks of 1944 um looking at what's in the in the units like it doesn't look like there's a ton of equipment that would be considered like sort of archaic uh in in this game but definitely there's stuff that has that isn't very survivable uh on a world war ii battlefield once people actually show up to fight there, right? So, like... Those um, honey Stewarts. The Honey Stewart. Oh, oh, bless you, Honey Stewart. <laughs> Even its name. It's it's such an adorable name. Like, the, oh, God, they shouldn't have named it the Honey Stewart, though. Because then I get really protective of my Honey Stewarts. <laughs> and, like, I'm using... They're, like, the infantry's, like, well-meaning but slightly bumbling companion. And the moment, like, real tanks show up, those things start, like, blowing apart. Uh, it's just like Roman candles, basically. They're just they're just getting terrorized off the map or or, or blown to shit. Um, I, but I, whenever I have a honey Stewart that survives into Phase C, I'm just like, what do I even do with you? <laughs> Where do I put you? So I I'll tell you a... what. Go ahead, Rob. Well, no, I mean, a lot of my honey Stewarts end up getting parked behind the tree line where the infantry is doing the fighting. Yeah. And then maybe if an opening shows up, like I've had a lot of honey stewards actually late in the game ride to the rescue, dealing with like an infantry overrun uh, type situation where I'm just like, there's a shit ton of enemy infantry coming in. Uh, at that point, those little tanks can can make a difference. Uh, but yeah, they're not. The honey steward's best protection is to be left utterly alone in a quiet <laughs> corner of the battlefield. <laughs> They're the uh, backbone of my Scots division. I just send them out far and wide. They, they don't so, tend to last for very long. So one of the things that impresses me about this game, and I think we're sort of headed in that direction, is that like 
I'm not very good at it, or at least whenever I play multiplayer, I lose a lot more than I win most of the time. Or, I lose a lot more troops than I kill, which is not necessarily winning if I'm holding my ground. Um, but sometimes I'm not holding my ground either. And trying to figure out how it works feels like a kind of direct trying to figure out how World War II tactics work. Like, how do I use my tanks? Do I bunch them all up and send them across? No, because then artillery and planes can easily, you know, make them all panic. Do I send them across the field in a gapped line? Oh, hey, that actually kind of works, and it looks like all those depictions of World War II combat. So I'm having all these you know, sort of slow tactical revelations of how these things are supposed to work in a very direct way. It's not a, this game has abstracted this idea and, you know, it's not a hearts of iron. Like my division is comprised of these things that will make it go fast. It's a, I need to figure out what going fast actually means and how to take advantage of that. And I think that's really rare in, either a war game or a we call it an rts though this is more real-time tactics specifically but yeah any sort of game in either of those genres and the combination seems to be making it work in a really fascinating way for me even if i am you know getting chewed up i think that the tricky thing about multiplayer and skirmishes and this was very much the case with the war game series and it's continuing here is that when you dive into, say, a 1v1 match, you have all of these different types of units and diff- with different types of roles, and you're trying to just command them all across this massive map. It makes a lot more sense if you're playing, even with the AI, but preferably with another player or a few more players, and you just set yourself a specific role. Like, yeah, this, you're, you're the I, artillery I mention, guy or something like that. mentioned that um, I did not really get this game until I started setting up 2v2 and 3v3 battles, even with the AI. Yeah. It was, it was, it just felt overwhelming. There were way too many units, way too much going on. Um, but once I actually, you know, got a lane, even if that lane was exactly the same size as a 1v1 map, it sort of put the whole battle into context. And I highly recommend that anyone who plays this game, you know, set up their skirmishes to be 2v2 or 3v3, even if it's just the computer. Because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the 1v1, um, just like in the context of what you're trying to do and why. And it can feel very overwhelming. 1v1 definitely feels like because of because of that thing we discussed earlier in the show about how there are almost separate battles that start happening within each map it does feel sometimes like i'm playing two or three different war games alongside each other and that can be incredibly overwhelming if in the middle of the map there's this like pitched street fight to take this town and then on the right right hand side, there's this like one way road that is just turning into an Alamo situation for my forces holding it. And then the left side is a tank battle, uh, just you know, in the in, in open fields with aircraft sort of streaking in overhead and like killing tanks. Those are three really different sorts of fights happening that require different tactics and different types of reinforcements being brought to bear. 
and that's really cool. But if you're managing all of those simultaneously, it can start to, for me at least, like almost cause, um, almost like shutdown, right? Where it's just, I, I don't know. Like, I no longer know. It's like in Band of Brothers when, when that dude, uh, when that shitty guy who replaces Winters completely freezes mid-assault and just, like, hides behind the haystack <laughs> saying, like, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of what happens to me playing this game uh, sometimes. Was that the dude from Justified? Was that dude from Justified? Neil McDonough? No, 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 no. Neil okay. McDonough is, uh, no, he's... He's the silver-haired uh, dude, uh, Buck Compton in in Band of Brothers. Yeah, I, I just was reminded of that because when I went to GDC and saw the Darkest Dungeon presentation, that scene was like the inspiration for the game. It's just like the, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, we'll, we'll get to that when we do our you know Darkest Dungeon show in three years. Oh, wait, we <laughs> didn't do a Darkest Dungeon show, did we? We... I, I, we I think we sort of decided to wait for the expansion, and the expansion still is not out yet. So no, we talked about decision. it in our We're year end fix thing, that. but that was it. Yeah, we, we definitely did there. Yeah, uh, and I still feel like we might have botched that. All right, we'll, we'll address that. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, it, it does feel super overwhelming in those moments. Um, and that's sort of a good thing in, like... When you feel overwhelmed, you turn it into World War One, right? You're you're just sending yep. infantry to take and hold what you have. You're sending artillery to just knock out the things you see. You're not trying to make any battle plan beyond just kill the thing in front of you. And that's sort of where I am at in my multiplayer is that I've gotten pretty good at turning things into, you know, a meat grinder. I have not gotten good at all in flanking the meat grinder. And... You know, it, it's an interesting thing that I feel like, okay, the next step that I have to do is turn this from a war of attrition into a war of maneuver. I think some so like, AI matches with uh, using bullet time can, quite, can help quite a lot with that. Because then you can see the entire map and you can pinpoint the trouble areas and plan your and prioritize without worrying that while you're doing that you've just lost all of your infantry yeah um i just discovered that you can send your units out in formation mm. when you grab when you grab a lot of them uh if you hold down the move button the right mouse button then it will have them like move to positions in a line instead of all moving to the same place rts style um and this is perhaps a flaw of the uh, early access version of the game where there is no campaign or tutorial or anything. It's just kind of throwing you in. Um, and I realized that possibly one of the reasons I'm losing a lot in multiplayer is that these are the people that I'm playing against who are really into this game. And I can't just, like, go in casually without the matchmaking. I think there will be a matchmaking. There's a grayed out button that seems to imply it. Um, then I can't just go in and be like, la, 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 I've played a couple matches of this. This looks fun, guys. And I'm going against people who, like, actually know what all of these uh, units mean. All, all of the little guns and penetration statistics, and they, they get in arguments about which which tanks in particular are overpowered in the chat before each match, and they all have Nazi avatars and uh, 
but that, the avatars. That's the bit that actually is the most daunting part for me. It's not the scale of the the fights, but the actual numbers behind them all. Uh, there's a, there's a, like you need to know how many bullets you have, and that can and and I'm you know I'm used to that with the the kind of the war game antics of the war game series. There's a lot to do with supply and logistics and things like that, but it it's it's still very overwhelming. When most RTS games, you really only have to know like one or maybe two things about the unit that you're controlling. Whereas you've got like a whole card of details for every single unit and there aren't any like tooltips or pop-ups or anything that really explains it properly. And I believe some of them are also wrong as well and need to be fixed. So even if you're, you kind of get what you're staring at, it might not even be the right number. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like the war game series, increasingly became this presumes a lot of enthusiasm for military hardware um perhaps too much enthusiasm get really excited about it there's a (laughs) lot of hair splitting uh that i find myself doing when i'm building a unit when i'm building sort of my deck right like like literally i'll be flipping back and forth between two tanks and like well this one's got the armor piercing of 14, but the other one's got 11, but this one carries more shots, so I don't really know. Like, there's a, and, and, and that all matters in how it's going to interact with other units' uh, armor values. It gets, it definitely gets a little bit overwhelming. Uh, it was also one of the more fun aspects of, of Wargame is that there was all this cool stuff to, to sort of push around the map, but it makes it a little tricky to sort of instinctively know, uh, you know, how your Churchill 6 is going to stack up against a Panther. Like, just instinctively that like and versus like how would it versus how a Churchill four uh, stood up to that Panther just, just a moment earlier. It's, it's a little tough to, to know all that. Um, I, I there's a lot really, of support units I find inscrutable. I would really like a blurb on each of these that just kind of says what its yes. role in the war was. Yes. Like why is the church? Is it the five? Why is the Churchill five a support tank? Um, because it appears to have no <laughs> armor piercing abilities whatsoever. Is that what it is? <laughs> the Churchill basically like Churchill four tank Churchill five dog shit Churchill six better tank because well, the Churchill, Churchill five is really great against infantry because oh, I'm five, sure it is you can use I think even in phase A or something you just chuck that in but it's a support tank yeah it's yeah, it's, it's it's confusing <laughs> all right speaking of confusing I need your guys help. Because I feel like the game is gaslighting me. I'm not sure how it's working. There's a key component of this that has been baffling me. And I can't like I can't seem to find anybody talking about it online. Like maybe I'm the only person not getting this. Or the Nazis So you have your A rod. You have your B <laughs> What? God damn it. So you have your phase A units, your phase B, your phase C. When phase B starts. Can you still call your phase A units onto the map? Yeah, they're just they're just added to your like a playable deck, 
right? I, you know, I'm not no, entirely I'm not sure. sure. Wait, I, really? I think in Phase C, you get you definitely get Phase B, and I think you get Phase A units still. But I okay. think Phase B, you might only have the Phase B units. No, but I'm, I'm pretty not sure. sure. Sometimes yeah. it feels like you have the Phase A units still. But I've... a lot of the, but no, because to me, like, because I actually built a deck just today to sort of test this. Like, I only put, um, I only put plain rifle squads in Phase A. And when Phase B arrived, I could not call any more plain rifle squads onto the map. And I was sure, like a moment earlier, they'd been there as, a, as, as an option. So, like, I can't figure out, does this game have, like, an insane use it or lose it mechanic? Or I have not even or no- not. It's so weird that I haven't noticed that because I really haven't. I'm sure I've been able to access my A's, like... Because I keep, I keep having these moments where I'm like, okay, now I'll call in one of those units, and I go, and there are no more of these units left to be called, and I like, I have this moment that I swear, I swear to God, it's it's total gaslight, okay? Like this game is basically Charles Boyer. It's it's like, what do you mean? You never, Rob, you know you never had a six pound anti tank gun. You're being hysterical. That's that's what this game is doing to me. It's like no, but but I was gonna. I was going to wait, and I was going to put the it right there. It's like, all your six-pound tank guns were destroyed, Rob. Why don't you lie down? <laughs> I, could, I could actually, like, visualize it. I could remember getting my really shitty infantry that I just filled Phase A with and using them in Phase B. Not just using them because they are alive, but using them because I could access them from my deck. Or there was I be... just incredibly drunk? <laughs> But also, a lot of the identical might... units appear in Phase C. Like, a lot of new rifle squads appear in Phase C that are identical there, there to the might ones. be a thing where you can only have so many of a type on the map at once. Yeah. Maybe. This must be really fascinating well, for listeners. <laughs> hey, we're just working I... through some stuff at the moment, guys. I mean, this is what happens <laughs> when we, we talk about a game a month before release. <laughs> It's it's the weirdest part of this entire thing for me. Like, I feel me like I've got a handle before, on everything, and I felt really certain that you were wrong. <laughs> and I was, and I thought you must have been wrong. But I kept <laughs> having that feeling. I kept being like, "No, I swear to God, there was a Wolverine tank destroyer like five seconds ago." Don't don't you remember? And everyone's like, "You never had a Wolverine tank destroyer, Rob. What are you talking about?" Because it I did mean, start give, to sound like you had those dementia. Explode! You may as well never have had one. Oh, but man, if you micromanage the the Wolverine, it is the predator. Like I have had some hero Wolverines just like roll up entire like fields full of tanks. It's beautiful, but you have to watch them really closely because yeah, like you turn away from a Wolverine for like three seconds and it just blows the hell up. Okay, I so mean, yeah, so we don't know how that 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 part. Yeah, of it works. I Great. think there's something going on. I think you should be able to use all the units, but there might be another system that means that you don't always. And it might be that the, you don't get A units in B, but you do get them in C. Or, and it might just be that I have actually lost all those rifle squads in that industrial complex in Columbell. I mean, it's real possible. <laughs> like this is a bloodbath of a game. Uh, at at times and yeah in those dense feel in those densely packed like Colin Bell's just nightmarish because it's just like constant units getting ambushed from out of nowhere and slaughtered um it's it's really unbearable 
Um, I actually find that worse than Pont de Hoc. So just fucking Normandy, man. See, Pont de Hoc makes sense to me. I don't feel like it is actually a slow. I think compared to other RTSs, I feel that survivability is way up because of the the stress system. Yes. So the the idea with the stress system is that instead of having health being the main component of a unit, um, it's their mental fortitude. And the more bullets that get very close to them and explosions and everything like that, the more freaked out they get. And this is all units. So this is... Um, planes and this is infantry and tanks anything where there's a bloke inside they will get scared if it's infantry and they actually get hit which puts them up to the the most stress level then they will dive for the ground basically they'll be suppressed and you can only really order them to retreat which means they will try and find the nearest bit of safe cover or they will just kind of lie there and get mown down and it's it's very sad but if it's a a vehicle say a tank they will have different stress phases where at first they'll be a little bit freaked out and they'll slowly start to reverse but you still have complete control over them but then when it gets to the the most extreme level of stress they will just get the fuck out of there until they are safe but you don't lose that vehicle or that unit they're stressed, and then you can bring them in again. As an attacker, that means that you can win a match without actually having, or, or a, not a match, but a fight, without having to actually destroy the enemy because maybe it's got too much armor. So you just freak it out, and you can then push forward. And as a defender, it means that all is not lost just because you've lost an, a major encounter. You can still make a comeback. These units might still be in play as long as they haven't been captured, which is another wrinkle. So one, I don't, of, one of my favorite things to do with this is when the enemies have these massive armor attacks that I always seem to face and can never get going on for myself coming is I get one of those big-ass rocket artillery pieces that just you know mows down an area with rockets for like 30 seconds and just launch it at their tanks and it doesn't do much damage to the tanks but it freaks the tanks out they all freeze and generally the attack just stops right there and that's i think a really neat way of dealing with this is that you know there there are humans in those tanks who are going to be freaked out by constant explosions all around them even if it's not you know me bringing three wolverines up at them oh i had this amazing uh i had this amazing battle where i want to say it was like a tiger basically got loose like there's this there's this fight happening in the center of the map uh that was largely about like infantry and light vehicles so i just stopped committing armor and anti-armor resources to it like it was just it was just basically soft soft units right soft targets until like a tiger showed up and just started running riot in there and like started cleaning me out of the center of the map. But it was basically alone because everything else in that area, like that wasn't a tiger, died. So this tiger is like, r- like raging out of control and the entire, that entire section of the line is starting to buckle. And the two things that step up and save the day were like anti, like towed anti aircraft artillery. And 
they just like hammered the shit out of this tiger. Um, it was it was just like basically that tiger was just getting like ping ponged around so much by shots that could not affect it whatsoever. Like everything was bouncing off this everything was bouncing off this this tiger. Uh, those guys were were safe as could be inside that tiger, and they still freaked out. Like, and I just love that moment of like, they had it made. They'd won the battle. They were heroes, but they just didn't like being in a giant metal tin can uh, while people <laughs> were banging on it uh, from the outside. They just didn't like that feeling, and they, they just like put the tr- the tank in reverse and just pieced out of there. Uh, and it was great. It was like it was a completely like unearned win in some senses but i was able to sort of retake all that ground uh because the the guys just got spooked is there any other rts that you that where like shock and awe is a properly viable tactic apparently company of heroes had a little bit of that i mean you could like you could pin pin down and distress units pretty quickly but yeah i don't think it affected tanks as much but the, the kind of because this is like psychological warfare, really, you are freaking them out, and that is, and it's such a massive component of it. Yeah, like you can win matches by doing this. There's there's two other things I want to talk about with this game, uh, but before I move on, that that I think are that I think are interesting. One is that like every game that Eugen has made, basically since Ruse, supply matters in this game. And as as you alluded to earlier, uh, I think it was Rowan. Like units run out of ammunition, uh, like for basically everything. Like any any significant weapon, there's a good chance units will start to run out of ammunition for it, uh, and that's easily remedied. You park a supply truck in its vicinity, and it restocks on the ammunition. But supply trucks are really thin skinned. Uh, basically, if anything with a gun sees it, it's in real trouble. And of course, where a lot of the hardest fighting is going to be happening is some of those dangerous spaces on the map. So there's this interesting there's this interesting aspect that I've started to uncover in a lot of in a lot of matches. Like a lot of times, it's helpful to have a supply unit parked near your artillery. That just makes good. That, that's just common sense. But where it starts getting really tricky is you'll have units in a really, really good position, just like kicking nine kinds of ass. But the problem is that they're starting to run out of ammunition and you can't pull them out, but you also can't drive a truck up to them and 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 top them off in the middle of this like nightmarishly intense combat. And so it turns into this real like wages of fear situation where I'm like calling three trucks onto the map and I'm like, okay, one of you is going to get through and park behind that barn and supply these units from safety. The other two, we'll see how it goes, but it's, it's a cool <laughs> thing where like you'll have units almost marooned uh, by their own success and steadily made more and more vulnerable uh, by the combat they're fighting. Yeah, you, you can't really stay static. If you have found uh, a good position to hold out, you're going to have to realize that the amount of effort you're going to have to put in to actually keep that might... It might just not be worth it. You might have to make a tactical retreat, even if you're doing quite well. 
maybe you have to chalk it up to a win because you've held them off for a long time and then you have to start moving out. So it, it forces you to, to constantly stay quite mobile or you're just going to run out of ammo and get squashed. Yeah, this is sort of, you get these sort of little battles of the bulge in miniature in this way, which is a really fascinating thing about this game is that it feels both like World War II in macro and abstracted and its own little tactical battles on its own. The other thing I really dig is this the the front line marker the uh the map control boundary because the cool thing about it is that it's the sort of the fog of war is generally very binary right you either see something or you don't uh and occasionally you'll have units you'll you'll have games i think war game might have done this no, Wargame just had whether or not a unit was visible, its stealthiness. Uh, but So it was still basically, was some, is something detected or not? Steel Division has that going on as well, but it also has this boundary that roughly shows you who controls what portions of the map. And you know, based on how that boundary is formed, how it's shaped, where people are like pushing, like where the enemy has units in its vicinity. And it makes it really... So, Rowan, you were talking earlier about the difficulty in these flanking maneuvers. And part of it is because, like, it's a scary map. Like, a unit, like, tries to make an end run or, or, like an end run around one position can easily stumble into somebody else's field of fire and just get butchered. But the other cool thing is that there's a lot of moments where you can see the sort of frontline bubble... Uh, around your units getting narrower and narrower, but you don't you don't know why you you can't exactly put your finger on like where this is coming from, but you do know that like now you've got units in very close proximity to the enemy and you just can't see them yet, uh, or you'll see them like driving like you'll see the bubble extending really quickly through an empty portion of the map and you don't know what that means that could be like that could be like five German dudes in a truck, or it could be like a massive like armored steamroller coming your way you just don't know but it's a really cool it has a really cool dynamic uh to to the entire thing that that does remind me of ruse where you had a lot of unidentified units that you could see on the map you just didn't know which what what type they were Um, this is kind of playing with that when i when i talked with the the developer he said that the idea there was that you could hear that something was going on but you didn't know what it was oh that kind of makes sense but what I think this is really fascinating is when you have like, um, you know, two sort of wooded enclosures facing each other and you can see you you like know that there are enemies in the other one and you've been hitting it with artillery and you so the enemy is either suppressed or it's dead. And so the the little bubble front line thing moves so that it gets to just the enemy's kind of tree line and it stops there and it's like okay if i send my infantry across are they going to run into still 20 germans in that little tree line or did my artillery actually take them out and that's a real risky move to actually try to to try to push your infantry into that but that might be the thing that you've been fighting over for the past 20 minutes and it's 
time to actually make that move. And uh, the answer seems to always, for me, be no, you shouldn't do it. But uh, <laughs> It's a really it, fascinating dilemma with one answer. Yeah, it's a, the fascinating dilemma is that infantry charges in this game are very, very bad. Don't charge with your infantry. But then all my tanks die as soon as I poke over out of the tree line, so yeah. But it, the, like, like you said, it makes for interesting tactical decisions where you're not yeah. sure, especially because of the suppression mechanic where when a unit is suppressed, it stops pushing that uh, border out. But the unit might still be there. The unit might just be able to turn around and start kicking some ass as soon as it sees something. It just might temporarily be suppressed. So there are all sorts of little decisions under the hood that that, that, that makes. And it just looks cool. This is one of it's one of my favorite things in war games is having good strong boundaries, especially with war games, yeah. you know, of twentieth century war. It's uh, very Hearts of Iron Four, isn't it? Yeah, Hearts of Iron Four has a great one, and uh, I remember like reading reviews of war games when this started becoming more popular ten or fifteen years ago, and uh, just everyone was so excited about you know these visual boundaries that just look really crisp and neat. Although I will say, there's one point that where I don't like it and for new players this is kind of important um when you're starting a new game you have kind of a deployment phase of a couple minutes and you have like a quarter of the map that you can start putting your units on and it looks like the enemy has half the map but it doesn't it it doesn't actually like they have they only have a quarter of the map as well um it just because of the way the border is set up at the start yeah. of each map, each map, it looks a lot bigger. So that, that border is where you can get to, not where the enemy I is. I think they and... might have fixed that in just this patch. Okay. Because the, the uh, game I started like just, just before we came on the show, uh, during the deployment phase, you controlled like the back third of the map. They controlled the back third of the map. And then the open the, the space in the middle was unshaded and open. Oh, so there isn't even the halfway boundary anymore. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think so. I, I think that's how they did it. Um, so in that deployment phase, this <laughs> one thing invariably happens to me, where I'll always, I'll, I'll, usually I'll put my units on a road so they can get to where they're going faster. Mm, fast without movement. Having, without trudging through the fields. And that's an important thing to remember is that the terrain, the geography, that matters a great deal, way more than in your average RTS. And so I put them in the road and there'd always be a couple of guys, a couple of guys who go, you know what? Fuck the road. I'm going to go through this field, even though I'm looking and I'm seeing, no, it's way more direct to just take the road, but they'll just go off in a little drive through these fields, kicking up mud basically getting stuck there there seems to be a different ai for when you're deploying units versus when you're just moving them Mm. so they go faster when you're like okay little infantry truck i want you to deploy in these woods here they'll just zoom right there straight there on the roads but if you have uh one of those support jeeps they will drive in the mud directly next to the road taking two times longer to get where they're going they don't go on the road automatically i don't get it 
I mean, I like the, the options to be able to go, okay, you know what, we won't use fast travel, we'll, we'll go through the mud, because often it will be safer, because the roads are really, really dangerous. But They're really scary. They're so terrifying. That's why there's so many holes in them. Uh, and dead bodies. But sometimes you just want to get to the town really, really quickly, and running through the woods is not the best idea. Something else I just I, I really do enjoy about this game is that it looks really good, but the train is like kind of simple, right? Like you've got dense cover, light cover, you've got the, like these sort of clearly like delineated like boundaries between where a unit is like safe and concealed and where it will be out in the open. But playing it all, it really does feel a lot of times like it's a really lavish living miniatures game. If if that makes sense, like it oh, definitely yeah. feels like you're, you know, you're whatever. What's the smallest scale miniature? Where it's like Napoleonic's uses the scale a lot, but it's like the the little like the the little like groups of soldiers that are all like the size of, I don't know, a thick grain of rice or something. You know what I mean? They're they're like really like really tiny little individual figures moving around these like great big bunches. Uh, it kind of feels like one of those miniatures games uh, in, in some ways, right? Where like you're just like this this godlike figure, sort of looming above this like enormous board, pushing these little figurines uh, around. But the cool thing is, like you zoom in, and it's incredibly vivid and convincing looking at ground level. Uh, but you'll spend most of it from this sort of uh, you know god's eye view. Uh, it's you know Eugen's Eugen's games, I think have have always been like the best looking RTSs basically since uh, Ruse came out. But this is very much, uh, it, it's very much in that vein. And I, I, I do love the, the style uh, of this game. Yeah, it, it's really good looking. I do feel like, and this might just be because of the limited number of maps early on, that maybe Normandy is going to get a little boring. It might get a little boring. But uh, hopefully they'll have some maps that have a different more diverse look because the, when i talked to them they said that their scale is like you know a nine-month campaign not just you know the, the, a couple weeks immediately after d-day or whatever so we might get some fairly varied things or you know steel division stalingrad is going to be pretty awesome i mean well i mean they're a paradox now so it's just going to be it's going to be D, dlc all the way down <laughs> um like we're gonna be we're gonna be doing our you know annual steel division check-in uh in a couple of years i hope because i i do think one of the cool things about ruse is that ruse was the rare world war ii game that had an awareness that the war was fought by people who weren't just the americans the germans and the british and a lot of war games ignore this. And, and to an extent, I kind of get it, right? Like, the Italians didn't have an amazing record on a lot of, in a lot of their theaters. Uh, France uh, fought the hell out of World War II for the first eight months or so, and then they were gone. And we're no longer, we're no longer a participant uh, in, in a lot of senses. So I, I kind of get it, but the cool thing in Ruse was that each army did have, like, it had all these armies that you, you rarely got to see, right? There were all these units that you rarely got to see. Like, you know, the Italians focus on ridiculous World War One-esque artillery uh, that a lot of other factions didn't have because 
they hadn't put all their their eggs in the artillery basket. Uh, the French had some ridiculously heavy tanks uh, that didn't have much in the way of anti tank armament, but they were they, they were big like land battleship uh, kind kind of tanks moving around there. It was it was cool stuff, and I would I would so be on board if Steel Division Normandy was like you know, augmented later by Steel Division Africa Corps or Steel Division Fall of France. Like there's, you know, if, if, if Eugen were to like backdoor ruse into this, into this system, like I would be, I would be there for that. I mean, can you imagine how excited Troy is about a Canadian division? <laughs> are there Canadians in this game yet? I don't think there are. There are not for Scots. us. There are Scots at least. But and that's all I need, really. That that's my favorite division. I'm I'm with you now, Fraser. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> um, the but I mean I assume Troy has access to the full game, so at some point he got excited about the Canadian division, or maybe they're going to charge the Canadians ten bucks for the Canadian divisions that it's going to be. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it might be worth. That. It might be worth talking a little bit about the the various divisions because they these are supposedly the historic divisions of um there's like a Hitler youth division and the the Scottish division and uh the, each of them has their own flavor and you can you know mix and match their flavor but when you have a an armor division it has like a very slow phase A where you only have 65 points whereas the infantry the light infantry scottish division has like 85 points um per tick in the uh in the first phase but by the last phase you can just like dump these elite tanks out there that the scottish division will have to have like entrenched units to be able to fight against so there's a really nice flavor to this that is probably also really good for the people who are super into you know the military history of these units and especially the national history with you know the scottish ones and potential canadians and Maybe even Italians, but I don't think there were any Italians in Normandy. I have, there might have been. No, there there weren't. Um, I mean, I'm sure there was like a guy. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. somewhere there was a dude. Uh, but you know, you they, could do a steel division like Anzio. Uh, yeah, I mean, expansion that would be pretty dope. Yeah, I'm just talking about the things that are available in Normandy. Yeah. It's probably just going to be the Germans for the Axis. Um, maybe Vichy. No, there wasn't no because uh, Vichy was basically gone uh, by by then. I want to say because like, didn't the Germans uh, basically shut like draw a line under Vichy after uh, the torch landings? I want I want to say that as they realized that Vichy was politically unreliable, uh, they they locked down France before the uh, the Normandy invasions. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. That, did that the happened units... at the end of 42. So, yeah, probably all Germans. Did the units feel... Uh... Did, did you get that, that army identity feeling uh, playing different, different divisions uh, so in, in this game? So yeah, much. All, yeah. When you go from one that you're comfortable with to a new <laughs> one, that's when it hits you. Like, initially, it's just like, okay, this is, you know, a slightly different flavored one with a few different tanks. But when it's like, all right, I get these Scots. I'm pretty good with them. Let's try the other division out. And it's just like, what? what? They have flamethrowers, but the flamethrowers aren't in the infantry section? This is crazy. 
with the Yanks when I, I first tried them out, it was just like, why are there so many planes? I just didn't know what to do with myself. We love planes. <laughs> but yeah, it, they're completely different. It's basically like each division has a theme, I guess. I, 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 that maybe simplifies it a bit too much. But they, ge- they generally have the, this hook or this strength that sets them apart beyond the individual units. Uh, and so you've got the Americans are very much stronger when it comes to air, and then you have one of the, the German divisions is particularly big on its heavy armor. So it feels like you're playing with different factions in an, in an ordinary RTS, but these are actually specific divisions, whereas in your standard RTS, it would be on the kind of national level. So yeah, it's like um, a deep dive, really, into the, the kind of minutiae of these various militaries. One of the German divisions has a Phase A Firefly tank, which is a really good heavy armor tank that they can drop at the very beginning of a game. And if you're going up against that division, you know that you're going to need anti-tank stuff to be able to survive Phase A. Because that single tank is going to mess you up otherwise. No, I think I think my Honeywells could deal with it no problem. Just to fall yeah. in to die. <laughs> the noble, the noble honey Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining uh, them blowing up right as we're talking about it, and it's a little a single tear going down my cheek. Well, and then God, all those, all those humbers that end up getting parked around the map after the opening phases, just like kind of waiting to die, even more than the uh, than the honey Stewarts. Um. The, the, their lot in life is not happy uh, either. Play, play the American division with the uh, they get like super cool infantry trucks that can fire back and are like little mini support units that stay on the map after they drop their infantry off and like it, when you're not used to playing that division those things will just explode constantly when you know big tanks show up. So it's like oh my god I'm losing units like crazy. Oh yeah it's those. Well, that's the that's the other cool thing that that is happening in this game is that it introduces this extra tension between um, taking control of the map and absorbing losses to do it because you know the the damage that you inflict does take you towards victory and brings you closer uh, to to hitting your total. Um, and so I've had some very cool games where like I've realized two thirds of the way through. That I'm like winning the battles but losing the war, where it's like I am steadily driving the enemy back, and I'm thinking like, damn, I'm like, all right, I'm rolling these guys up. Like, look how much of this map I control. Like, everything, everything's going my way. Like, things are going pretty well, pretty well. And then I realize like, wait, a lot of my units are dead. And I start check the score, and it's like, oh wow, like this guy just needs to hold on for like five more minutes, and I'm in real trouble. Uh, so like, I've definitely had. I, I definitely dig that aspect of it as well, where it's it's not just like husbanding your resources uh, is is a smart play from the material aspect. Uh, it's also a smart play in that this is a war game, and like frittering frittering away your forces will cause you to lose the game. Can 
sometimes you can just like hold on by the skin of your teeth even though you're losing twice as many units as the enemy as long as you're just you know firmly making sure they don't get that village then you know you're you're doing your part of course that depends on the mode because there's uh uh, there's the kind of is it conquest or whatever it's called yeah there's conquest and destruction yeah and destruction you just need to keep blowing shit up so you definitely can't win that way with destruction but with conquest yeah is if you've had a very very strong first two phases even if by phase c you're really struggling you might still be able to win it so yeah i uh you know, I was a little concerned when Steel Division was announced that it was maybe a little bit too back to the well for Eugen. Uh, I was worried that it was basically just going to be War Game, but World War II now, uh, which still would have been cool. But I'm actually really appreciative of the, a lot of the little changes uh, between Steel Division and the War Game series. I still think, like, it's got to... Like, a lot of the proof is going to be in the campaign, right? Like a lot of it is is going to come down to that because that that airland battle campaign is still you know kind of the the gold standard for campaign games in the series. But I actually really dig the the changes they've made uh, to make it a little bit less like destruction driven, um, and the interesting wrinkles they've added. Uh, you know, things like that that sort of squishy boundary marker, uh, you know, things like the phases really have done a lot to sort of change the dynamics from what I got used to with uh with the war game series. So early impressions like of Steel Division, I'm you know, I'm a fan of the series, so it's not a surprise that I'm digging this one, but uh I guess I'm 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 relieved uh that I'm still digging it this much. I have a question for you, Rob. Yes. Do you think that this game might have a strong competitive multiplayer component or culture or whatever? Mm. Probably like strong. Like if you want to play it regularly with people, yeah, probably uh, you'll probably be fine. It'll have a community that that's passionate about it. Will it catch on in any sense? Almost certainly not. Uh, but very few games do. Uh, and yeah. that's that's triply true of RTS. I, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that it might be a League of Legends, but I do no. think there's something strong enough here that uh, I think there might be a solid competitive scene that people can try to get into if they really really want to blow up some Nazis. War games multiplayer has typically been pretty popular and, and lasted quite a long time. I mean, I don't know if anyone still is playing Airland Battle and, and Red Dragon regularly, but the last time I checked, which would have been a year or so after launch, and I didn't struggle to get a game. Yeah, and even now, like, I log in at 4 a.m., and there are, you know, a thousand people online with 80 games going on, apparently. Well, uh, I think that will do it for this week's episode of, of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, Steel Division Normandy 44 is releasing pretty soon, uh, I think. Do we have an exact date for it yet? Or is it just like, like this spring? May 17th? Something like that. Yeah, I want to say it's it's soon. Yeah, May 23rd is is what's currently 23rd. listed on Steam. Uh so you but you can get you can get access to it uh you know right now if you if you pre-purchase. Uh but 
yeah, so far early impressions are, are are pretty positive, and I'm I'm really keen to see what the what the campaigns look like. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Throughs Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughsahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, Throughs Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>